0: Christ is risen. You guys are getting good at this. <clears throat> when I read through Scripture, and especially the Gospels, those four great accounts of Jesus' life and work for us, I'm usually confronted with this nagging notion after I finish. I want to be there. I want to be one of the ones who, got to, who gets to see with my own two eyes the great things, the great work that Jesus did for me to be my Savior. And I can't ever get it out of my mind. It just sticks there and sticks there and sticks there. And maybe you've, you've felt that too. Have you thought about that before? Have you wanted to be one of the characters in the narrative woven into the life of Jesus? Or maybe this morning is the first time you're really thinking about that. But how beneficial would that be to be able to see those things that Jesus did, especially the things on Easter morning, right? To Be able to see them with our own two eyes. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself why that tends to be a notion that we carry around in our heads and in our hearts? Oh, to be there, to see it with our own two eyes. Well, I think all things considered, the reason we feel that way is because it's largely the way we've been trained to think, isn't it? Human beings, by our very nature, are skeptical. There's just no getting around that. You're skeptical of almost everything that you hear. And through our real world, through our training, our real world experience and in education, we are trained to be steeped in skepticism. I mean, think of the last outlandish story that you heard, like that just something that was too believable to be true. What is your initial reaction when you hear that story? You tell the storyteller, I will not believe you unless you show me proof, unless I see it with my own two eyes. I can probably be a prime example of this. A lot of you know I'm a guy who likes to get lost on the lake fishing. And I could tell you stories about the nearly 10-pound bass I caught a couple years ago or the 27-and-a-half-inch walleye, but you've been duped by fishtails before, haven't you? And you would say to me as I'm telling you this story, unless I see the proof, unless I see the picture with my own two eyes, I'm not going to believe you. Which, by the way, I can show you pictures after worship if you want to see them. Not that that's the most important thing today, but I do have proof of that. We've become so weary of, the, of things outlandish, of things far-fetched, of of uh, of fish tails that we tend to be happy living in and standing in the camps of skepticism and disbelief until until somebody shows us proof until we can see something with our own two eyes in fact i think it's a safe assumption that we live our lives by the mantra seeing is believing don't we seeing is believing now now opponents of christianity and of Jesus himself, they've always uh, bemoaned that thought of, of belief without sight. I mean, you listen to any, any critic who is, who is uh, critical of Christianity and of Jesus, and the thing that they will almost immediately say of you and me is the faith that you have is blind. Because how in all the world can you and I believe, you believe in something that you've never seen with your own two eyes, that you've never heard firsthand with your own two ears? How can you believe in something like the plausibility of the resurrection from the dead, of this guy rising from the dead 2,000 years ago in the Middle East? Unless you can provide me proof that I can see with my own two eyes, then I'm not going to believe, and neither should you. I mean, that's kind of a painting with a broad brush of what modern criticism is of Jesus and Christianity, but, but this isn't a modern problem. In fact, you see an example of this on Good Friday. You've got those religious leaders standing there on Good Friday who who were the ones who had Jesus arrested and taken to Pilate so that Pilate would have him crucified. Those religious leaders are standing right there at the base of the cross. and, And what do they say to themselves? Let this Christ come down from the cross that we may see and then believe. Did you catch the order of the demand that they make? Sight before belief. And it's not just the enemies of Jesus who do this, his own disciples do this. Remember on Easter Sunday evening, uh, the disciples are all up in, an, in the upper room, and, and Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? He hears uh, an account of Jesus rising from the dead, and what does he say? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger there, unless I can put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Even those who were closest to Jesus were steeped in their own skepticism and refuse to believe without sight. It's a fascinating problem, isn't it? As I look out at the congregation today, at those who are gathered here to celebrate Easter, I marvel at the way that God brings people together who are from all different walks of life. And not only are we from all different walks of life, but we are at varying uh, or at different points in our walk of faith with God. You have some people here who are lifelong Christians. You have others here who are almost brand new to Christianity. You've got people here who, who came just to kind of appease a loved one because they said, you should come along and you would enjoy this and it would make me happy. And then you have a guy like me who, if you can't tell from my voice, I was really excited to celebrate Easter so I could barely sleep last night. You've got We are all dissimilar in a very good way, but yet there's one common thing that unites us, that we all have a very similar heart. What I mean is this, that inside all of our hearts lives this thing called the sinful nature. And our sinful nature is really good at one thing, at being a doubter. Our sinful nature is the person who loves to live entrenched in the camp of skepticism and disbelief. Your sinful nature is the one who who constantly says to you, you should not believe until you see proof. This is such a common problem that unites so many Christians, this problem of of doubt and uh, demanding sight before they believe. And why is that? Because how much easier would it be if I could see Jesus face to face? How much stronger would my faith be if I could see the resurrected Christ on Easter Sunday morning? How much easier would it be if I could see the resurrected Jesus to wade through all of the brokenness that we have seen this past year? The pandemic and the plagues of social and civil unrest. How much better would life be if I could stand face-to-face with the crucified and risen Jesus to help me make sense of the brokenness of my own heart and the mess that I make of my own relationships or even my failing health? If I could only see Jesus, it would make my life and my faith and my walk with God that much better. As we're gathered here to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord this morning and as we meditate on Mark's account of the resurrection, it's a really good thing to, that Mark confronts us with this very problem that we've been talking about, because Mark asks us and begs us to wrestle with this question, is seeing believing or is believing seeing? In his resurrection account, Mark, he takes us uh, directly from the events of Good Friday to the evening of Easter Saturday and eventually right into Easter Sunday morning to when those three women are walking to the tomb. Now, these three women, the two Marys and a woman named Salome, they are prominently featured in the Good Friday narrative. Do you remember this? These are probably the women who are at least part of the group of women who are wailing and mourning as Jesus is walking to Calvary. They're standing there at the foot of the cross as they watch Jesus cry out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and he breathes his last. And at least two of the three women that we know of, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, they were both there to see what happened after the crucifixion. They watch as two men from the Jewish ruling council, one by the name of Nicodemus and one by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, they watch as they take Jesus' body down from the cross, and wrap it in linen. They see with their own two eyes that Jesus is placed in a tomb cut out of rock that no, in which no one has ever laid, and then they roll a stone in front of it. These women see with their own two eyes Jesus breathed his last. They see with their own two eyes Jesus die. They see with their own two eyes Jesus placed in a tomb. They see with their own two eyes that this rock is sealing the tomb in which Jesus is laid. And so because they saw all of that, they are firmly convinced and believe that Jesus is in fact dead. And at this point, he is. But they're also convinced that he's going to stay this way. And that's evidenced by what they do after the Sabbath ends. So Saturday evening, these three women, what do they go and do? They go and buy spices to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, the only reason you do that is because you think that the one in that grave is going to stay dead. You put these spices on the body to slow the, to slow the decomposition process and to keep the stench of, of death from coming out of that tomb. It's really an act of love, not for the one who died, but for everyone who comes to, to pay their respects to the one lying in state in this tomb. Because these women saw everything, they were convinced and believed that Jesus is dead and is going to stay dead. So on Easter Sunday morning, just after the sun rose, these three women, they go out and with their spices and they're heading to the tomb and they're filled with, I think, what is genuine concern. So it's not concern about death, but it's a logistical concern, isn't it? Who's going to roll that big stone away uh, from the entrance of the tomb? Mark says that it was very large. In all likelihood, it was probably 3,000 to 5,000 pounds, right? Three women who are coming to the tomb are not going to be able to do this on their own. But yet when they get there, what do they find? Stone totally rolled away. Tomb is open. Logistical problem solved. And so then they can go right into the tomb. But the moment that they get into the tomb, what do they see? They see one who has the appearance of a young man dressed in a white robe this is Mark's way of talking about the angel who's at the tomb and they're completely alarmed because this is not at all what they were spe- expecting. Remember they saw Jesus die, they knew he was dead, so that's what they're expecting to find and to be able to anoint, is the dead body of Jesus. And yet they see an angel. And so what does the angel say to him? Do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified one. He is not here, he is risen. Now go tell his disciples and Peter He is going ahead of you into Galilee just as he told you. Take stock with me for a moment. What it is that those three women saw on Easter Sunday morning. A stone. A stone rolled away. An angel. And the place where Jesus lay. What's noticeably absent from that list? Jesus. The one thing they do not see is the one person that they came to find, Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen one. These women were dumbfounded by what they saw. They had heard Jesus' promise that he is going to rise, but they were so steeped in their own skepticism that that they couldn't believe it, so much so that they went and spent their own money to buy spices to anoint the dead body of their Savior. And the angel even points this out to them. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the crucified one. is not here. You are looking to see, see this one that you thought was dead, but he is risen from the dead. Take a moment to pause on this for just a minute. These women who come to the tomb to see Jesus, Jesus the Nazarene, the crucified one, they see Jesus that morning just as much as you and I see Jesus this morning. That is, they don't see him at all. This is the beauty of focusing on Mark's gospel account of, of the resurrection, because these women don't see Jesus, and so it begs the question: is seeing, believing, or is believing seeing? Chase out the first one with me just for a moment. If seeing really is believing, then these women who thought and believed that Jesus was dead were dead would really have no reason to think that he is alive because about the best logical conclusion that you could come up with was the exact fear that the Pharisees had when they approached Pilate on Saturday. They thought that somebody was going to open the tomb and steal away Jesus' body and start a rumor that he had risen from the dead. The women did not see the crucified and risen Lord. So is seeing believing, or is believing seeing? Mark pretty thoroughly debunks the first one, doesn't he? You don't see the resurrected Jesus at all so he makes a very strong case for the second one, that believing is seeing. These women, they didn't see the resurrected Jesus at all, and yet they received proof that he is alive. And do you remember what that proof is? It's the word of the angel, that message from the messenger of God. You are looking for Jesus, the crucified one. He is not here. He has risen. They did not see Jesus at all, and yet they receive all of the proof that they need to know that he is in fact risen from the dead. And my friends, this is the same proof, the same proof that you you and I are given, all of the proof that we need from the word of God, from God himself. In order to understand why this is enough, why you don't have to physically see Jesus to believe that he's risen, I want you to, to walk through these basic questions with me. What is the word of God? The word of God is nothing other than the message of God to you about who he is and who we are about how he feels about you and about what he did for you to rescue you from sin, death, and the devil. What does the word of God produce? The word of God produces, by the Holy Spirit, a saving faith in your heart. What is saving faith? Saving faith is nothing other than a simple trust in Jesus and all of the promises that your Savior makes you. So what does saving faith enable you to do? I mean, I can't think of a better explanation of what saving faith does other than what is written in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is being certain of what you hope for and evidence of things not seen. In other words, what does faith enable you to do? What does believing enable you to do? It enables you to see. It enables you to see with great clarity. In fact, it is vital that we get this straight that sight, physical sight, is not a prerequisite for faith, nor can it ever be. Instead, it is the other way around, that faith is a prerequisite for sight. And this is the brilliance of how Mark constructs his, his resurrection account in the gospel, doesn't it? Because he shows you, he shows me, that you don't need to see the resurrected Jesus with your own two eyes. All you need is the proof that God gives you in his word, the proof that your God gives you through his word and that he, he uses to create faith in your hearts. The Apostle John, after detailing his resurrection account, he says something quite profound toward the end of his gospel. And he's talking about the word of God and what it enables you to do. He says these, the word of God, the message of God, to sinful people like you and me, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's point is almost exactly the same as the way that Mark structures his point in Mark chapter 16. But you don't need physical sight. All you need is faith, a faith that is created by the word of God to know that truth that Christ is risen. Yeah, there we go. You guys are getting really good at this without me even prompting you. Not only does the word of God tell you about that fact that Jesus rose from the dead, but it also explains to you and gives you the proof of what the resurrection actually means and does for you for your daily life. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is God's seal of approval that all of the work that his son came to do for you, to live the perfect life, to die the sacrificial death, is God's seal of approval that that is completely done and over with. The resurrection from the dead proves to you that all of those sins that you carry around that haunt you, that they are paid for. Just as he said, the resurrection is proof that not even the power of the one who is purely evil, Satan, could hold Jesus, and that he's defeated, just as he said. The resurrection is proof positive that death, our greatest enemy, the one thing that you and I can never run from or escape, that it is completely and totally vanquished. Resurrection is also proof that in the midst of a world of terrible brokenness, that we've experienced in a real way more this past year than perhaps any other year that we've been alive, that in the midst of all of that, that there is actually hope. It's not hope that is based in who you are and what you do. It's not hope based on, on some other frail and feeble human being. It is a hope that is completely and totally wrapped up in those words that the angel spoke to those three women at the tomb. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said, because Jesus' resurrection from the dead shows you that even if you draw your last breath in the midst of all of this terribleness and brokenness, you will not die forever. That because Christ rose, you too will rise from the dead. You don't need physical sight to be able to see this. In fact, you can't see these things that God promises you through the resurrection, can you? You can't physically see the forgiveness of sins. You can't physically see that death is defeated. You can't physically see that the devil is vanquished. You can't physically see these things, yet you don't need physical sights to believe. In fact, it's the other way around. That because you believe, you see these things. Maybe for you that that causes, like it did for the women, a little bit of fear and trembling. The fact that you can't ever and you will never see these things on this side of heaven. That is a scary thing especially when we live our lives based on the mantra of seeing is believing. I mean, just look at these three women and how they react after the angel gives them the message of he is not here, he is risen. Mark tells us that trembling and bewildered, they ran out and fled from the tomb. and They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So ends Mark's gospel. Kind of a strange way to end the gospel of of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, isn't it? To end it on a note of fear and trembling? Well, it's strange until you realize what Mark has been trying to do for the last 16 chapters to prove to you the statement he made in the very first verse of his gospel, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The resurrection from the dead is proof positive of that. And so he simply ends it there. And by pointing out and ending his gospel on a note of fear and trembling, he is pointing out what happens when you and I as sinful human beings encounter what the Apostle Paul calls the mystery of the resurrection. It causes fear, doesn't it? It makes you a little bit uh, worried and nervous, maybe even alarmed like these women were, because it's not something that we can physically see. Yet we believe it. You know, you may walk out of here today just like those Marys did in Salome, afraid and saying nothing to anyone. That's okay. That's okay because that's going to stick in your craw. You're going to think about this and it's going to nag you. You're not going to be able to get it out of your mind. And here's why that is. Because when God sends his word to his people, be it through an angel to three women or from a pastor to you or from a, a family member who drags you here this morning or, or even through a neighbor who is constantly talking to you. That word that God sends to you, it means to have an effect on your life. And God promises that it will because he says, the word of my mouth, it will not return to me empty. It will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. And the purpose for which God sends his word to you is to give you the ability to see, to create a faith in your heart that sees with great clarity that does cause a little bit of trembling and fear. And yet, you don't need to see to believe. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You see because you believe. You see life. You see Jesus. You even see death with greater clarity than you ever have before. The kind of clarity that Job had when he spoke those words in our first reading, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand upon the earth. With my own two eyes, I will see him, I myself and not another. How does he end it? My heart yearns within me. He admits that in this life, he will never see what he has promised by faith, and yet he clings to it with great confidence and clarity. Because he sees. Because he has been given faith. Same faith that you have. Faith worked in these words. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, you believe, therefore, you see. God grant that to you. Amen.